Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Reformed and Texan. Uh, we are here looking at, I believe, if my count's correct, number 10. So we are coming double up digits. on double digits. That's right. Yes, sir. So very exciting stuff as we continue on in our, uh, in our discussions on the uh, doctrines of grace as we look at TULIP and the distinctiveness of Calvinism as we are go diving deeper in and more narrowly into what it means to be Reformed. And so over the last few weeks, we've been discussing total depravity. We've been discussing uh, unmerited uh, election. We've been uh, talking about uh, limited atonement last week. And now we're coming up on irresistible grace. So that is going to be a discussion topic for today. Uh, but before we get started, of course, my name is Caleb Maltby. I'm a pastoral intern here at New Braunfels Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, and to my left is my boss, my pastor, and my friend, Mr. Carl Miller. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and it's good to be all three of those. <laughs> yeah, that's great, brother. <laughs> well, I'm very excited about our conversation here today because um, this is a uh, this is a big one. Uh, we've been talking about, uh, especially the last two that we've been talking about, which is unconditional election and limited atonement. Uh, those are all dealing with this more broad topic of predestination. Mm. And this is going to round out our discussion on that broader topic of predestination. Um, this is irresistible grace. And so as we dive into that, um, I wanted to read two passages here for us, starting here in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 30. It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And then again, here we look in Ephesians, in the New Testament, Ephesians 2 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so as we think today about uh, God's grace being irresistible, we're thinking here of, of course, when we should maybe ask the question, what is, what is grace? And what are we specifically referring to um, when we talk about grace? Maybe we should take a second to, to define that. Um, uh, we've talked about it in the past, but um, when we think about God being graceful, of course, everything he does is a grace to us. We do not deserve anything. But when we're talking here about an irresistible grace, what are we, what are we getting at specifically? Yeah, so when we're talking here, it's very specifically in regards to God's favor, God's work in us, um, and uh, his work in us regarding salvation. So, um, and his pursuit of us, and, and, and because of his work in us, that therefore um, we are not um, resistant of that grace. We respond uh, very much in favor and and with thankfulness uh, in our hearts to it because of what he has done in us. Um, and so we'll flesh out more of what that means in a few moments in terms of what his work is in us in that regard. But yeah, grace in regards to um, our salvation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what we're referring to when we say irresistible grace. And now when you, you add that word irresistible to it, um, it, it kind of starts to insert this notion that when God bestows salvation, right? We've already talked about God electing people from the beginning of time. We've talked about that Christ's atoning blood was limited to those who would be elected. Mm -hmm. 
And then now we're talking about the grace that is poured out upon the elect. Mm-hmm. And so now we're, we're, we're asserting here um, that when that grace is given, it cannot be resisted. So this mm-hmm. is more of the positive side, right? The negative aspect is that God elects those that he's going to elect to salvation, and therefore there are those that are not elected. But now we're talking about those who are elected, and we're saying they cannot mm-hmm. uh, resist the power, and this is the positive power of election. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why is it important, then, uh, for us to assert that this that this grace is, is not resistible? Um, if Like, whenever we think about God giving this grace, of course, it comes from the same word that the word gift comes from. If, mm-hmm. if it's really just a gift... Um, why, why would anyone want to refuse it and why would we ever think that that's something that could happen and why do we think we need to really assert uh, so, so firmly that this gift is irresistible? Yeah, well, as with all the other pieces of the doctrines of grace, they're all connected to one another and really I think it's helpful um, to see that, you know, starting out here in this portion of the discussion and conversation that um, this kind of takes us back to limited atonement, right? So. Um, if God is, uh, his desire, his will is to save his people, to save some and not all, um, then um, really the question of his uh, power comes up here again when we're talking about irresistible grace, right? Because if there are some who can and do resist his grace that um, that he will save then and, and, and desires and is determined to save, then we've got a big problem there again, right? That, um, but in God's sovereign uh, power in his work, um, he works in our hearts. And when he changes us, um, he, uh, he uh, gives us that effectual call, right? Uh, that call that... Um, is at work in us, and, and, a, and a call that we respond to because of his work in us, um, and as he draws us to himself, right? So it, it's a problem to say that it could be resistible, because then we would, in essence, be saying also that God is not powerful enough to, uh, to carry out his desires for salvation and saving his people, which he is. He's fully and completely, um, he's all-powerful, he's fully and completely able and capable um, to uh, bring those people in, bring his sheep into his fold that he is determined to be saved. And so he does so by pursuing us in his grace with his favor and, um, and drawing us uh, to himself, awakening us from death to new life in Christ, right? And... and um, and so, yeah, to, to say it's resistible, um, does, does, it gives a poor reflection on the truth of God's character and person and, and ability um, and his plan, right? Um, and it also speaks uh, to aspects regarding us and uh, if, as if we had some ability to, uh, to resist our creator and our savior and our redeemer's call. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are two aspects there, both what it says about us as people and as men and what it also says about God, um, that are problematic if, uh, his grace is truly resistible. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And if we 
think about the the ways in which there are two uh, really two uh, doctrines that this is coming up against doctrines from from other perspectives from other mm-hmm. denominations um, of course one uh, is the the notion of prevenient grace which is the very common term to be used by uh, Arminians uh, and that is that that God's grace was was given to all right and that only those who uh, who did not resist it um, then uh, answered that call and we've discussed in past episodes in unconditional election and limited atonement how that really doesn't uh, meet the standard that scripture puts out there for us as it relates to salvation because what that does is it puts the limiting factor with man not with God that the determining factor on whether someone's saved or not uh, lies completely within ourselves and if, if the way that the scriptures speak of us as being dead in our sins and unable to do uh, practically anything but chase after our own sin um, then that that would not that would spell disaster for us because if it were within us uh, that something like that could happen uh, then it wouldn't happen according to scripture at the very least and so we have to we have to reject prevenient grace from that perspective and so then of course there is kind of a middle way that is very popular in many Lutheran circles is kind of uh, a not a there's still a specific kind of election aspect to grace but then there's even within that an opportunity for a choice, right? So right. that there is there is grace that is given to those whom God has elected, but they may still, uh, in their utter rebellion, resist it entirely and walk away. Right. Um, and and we understand why why they may think this, but as you so rightly put, um, if this grace really is uh, being given to someone at all by God and by his, uh, his note, his, the way has predestined us, um, there is nothing that we can do to, right. to, to resist that. There is nothing, when we look at the, the way the scriptures speak of God and the way it speaks of his sovereignty and his electing purposes, his, the way he foreordains events to come to pass, um, we cannot frustrate his will. That's right. And there is nothing that we can, when we look at the way that, that Proverbs speaks of, of God as it relates to kings, right? He takes the hearts of kings and he moves them like he would, he would move the streams of water from a river, mm. right? It's the Lord is in complete and total control. And if there is even one molecule that is outside of his sovereign decreed will, uh, then that would even be something above him and he would no longer be sovereign in the true sense of the word, the sense that the, the scriptures use. Mm-hmm. And so uh, even though the, the Lutheran notion gets closer to the mark than mm-hmm. provenient grace does, um, it still misses the mark because it gives man even that inch of room for him to say, no, I know God, this was your plan, but I want this to be the plan instead. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And, and as we've been saying in previous episodes, as we've been going through the doctrines of grace, again, each time we're, we may sound like a broken record, but that's a good thing, right? <laughs> it's good to see all the ties and the connections. It's good to be reminded. It's good to, to see um, how things all uh, work together and how uh, God saves his people. But um, again, this goes back to total depravity, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, as Caleb has been uh, talking and describing about, um, you know, man in man, if 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 we take any of these other kinds of positions, any other position 
other than that God's grace is irresistible in salvation, then we're putting something, giving some inordinate power, special power to man um, to rise above and to resist. When remember that man is dead in his trespasses and sins, mm-hmm. he is totally depraved, um, and so man can do nothing in regards to uh, moving toward God, um, responding um, in some type of, of faith of his own, um, you know, any of that. He, he can't do that. He's incapable of doing that. And scripture, remember, it reveals to us time and time again and in many places in the word of God that, that man is truly corpse-like um, spiritually and um, has no ability in and of himself to uh, to turn to God or respond to God, and so um, so God's gracious gift of grace um, it it is given to man as when the, as the Lord saves him, and uh, therefore absolutely um, it is irresistible because it's God's gift, it's God's work in the heart of men and women, um, and um, so. Uh, dead men and women can't respond to God's call, but as God reaches down and, and uh, brings that man or that woman uh, from death to new life in Christ, um, and a spirit is at work in their hearts, um, you see that um, the response to grace then comes from his work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, you're kind of preempting the next question there okay. as we go into uh, talking about total depravity, right? And then the, yeah. that notion, because some may look at this and, and, and say, maybe they're scratching their head a little bit and they're thinking, wait, we're talking about being totally depraved and we're talking about being dead in our sins. And if we are dead in our sins and the Lord calls us, can a dead man respond to a call? Is that and how how do we jive that as 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 reformed uh, people and looking at these two doctrines and uh, how can we say that a dead man can respond to God's call? Even we're even saying that he can't but respond to God's call. That's right. Well, so in the in the uh, process and order of salvation, right? Um, we see the the work of the effectual call of God. We see um, the work of regeneration. Um, that God brings about in the life, the hearts and the lives of his elect um, to bring them from death to life, to take their heart of stone and to give them a heart of flesh. Um, we see um, the gifts of faith and repentance, right? Which all of these things are acts of God's free grace as um, he is uh, pursuing and saving that person. And so... Um, as that, as he does that, and as he brings that person to new life and regeneration, um, then um, he is renewing our wills, right? He is mm-hmm. renewing our, our, we have a renewed nature. It's not, we're not in bondage to that sinful nature where we were dead in trespasses and sins, but we have now been freed in Christ as the Spirit applies the benefits of our union to Christ mm-hmm. to us. And, and we see all of these benefits in the order of salutis, right? We see all these benefits in the order of salvation. And so, and that's for another episode too, right? We can talk about that. But, mm-hmm. For sure. Um, but um, we see all this. And, and, and so therefore, as God does this, as he regenerates us and, 
and gives us a renewed heart and, and um, renewing our will. And then he also is uh, working in us indeed to respond to that grace, right, that he has given us. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. And all we have to, to do, I mean, in the, in the scriptures, there's a, a brilliant uh, a story in the life of our Lord that parallels what uh, really happens with us mm-hmm. in salvation, right? And that is the, the story of Jesus Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. Mm-hmm. Lazarus is as dead as a door now. He's been dead for three days and he is in the tomb um, and they open up the tomb and our Lord Jesus calls to him and says, Lazarus, come out. Mm-hmm. And Lazarus gets up and comes out. So even there we see even a a, a foreshadowing of the way that the Lord works in his own people mm-hmm. unto salvation. Because we, like Lazarus, are dead. And yet the Lord calls out to us and we stand up and we go to him. Yeah, and it's story. just a beautiful, beautiful picture mm-hmm. uh, of what it means to be called uh, by God. Um, and if you remember, even in that story, remember Martha was doubting and she was like, well, wait, Lord, uh, he's been in there for four days. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. It's going to mm-hmm. be stinky. It's, <laughs> it's not going to be pretty, Lord. You don't want to, you don't want to do this. And in fact, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing mm-hmm. and really demonstrated his power and um, and his grace and yeah, it was a wonderful story in that. It is, it is. But I did also like how you brought in uh, the the fact that the in this calling that our wills are also renewed as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that this ties very well into a, a great quote that I have here um, from A. A. Hodge. Um, uh, Archibald Alexander Hodge was a uh, he was a professor at Princeton University in the nineteenth century, um, and he wrote. Uh, extensively on many different areas of, uh, of theology. He wrote a large volume that we would call a systematic theology where he mm-hmm. breaks down the different categories of theology for us. And as he was talking on salvation and on this grace that we receive in the act of salvation, he says this, and this may seem for a second to go against what we're saying here, but it all makes sense once you, once you hear what he's really getting at. He says, It is to be lamented, that the term irresistible grace has ever been used since it suggests the idea of a mechanical and coercive influence upon an unwilling subject, while in truth it is the transcendent act of the infinite creator making the creature spontaneously willing. Mm -hmm. And so when we think of irresistible grace, we are not to think of ourselves as robots or automatons who merely now have been programmed to do the right thing and God just lets the whole thing just work itself out in the clockwork that he's made. Or we don't. We should not even think of it like a, someone who is being coerced into doing something, like we have a gun to the back of our, uh, to our back and someone's just telling us, do this, do this. That is not what we see when we see the Spirit's work of effectual calling and irresistible grace going on. What we see is our wills are transformed and we are enabled to desire God and desire to please him. Before, our free wills had been shackled by sin and we desired to do everything in rebellion to God and to be masters of our own life, which really was to say we were in slavery and misery. Yeah, that's right. And so when we see these, this irresistible grace, it is irresistible... Inasmuch that our 
our wills themselves have been irresistibly changed. Mm-hmm. And we have been, we cannot resist it because we no longer desire to resist. Mm-hmm. That any of that rebellion has been taken away. And yes, we will talk about, maybe in this podcast, but especially later, uh, the fact that sin still indwells in us. Mm-hmm. But our hearts have been radically renewed and transformed after our conversion, after our being called out from the sinners, from the, from the world and uh, being put in the in God's elect, uh, so we we really are um, we are really willing participants mm-hmm. in what's going on here, uh, but we are made willing participants uh, by the grace of our God. Yeah, and I think that that really ties nicely into the Ephesians you know two thirteen verse that you read before, where it, um, where God clearly teaches us through the Apostle Paul that it's God who works in us Mm -hmm. to will and to work to do for his good pleasure right so Mm -hmm. um, so you know as if if we want to take any credit then we're really barking up the wrong tree we're looking at it the wrong way if we want to Mm -hmm. um, you know have something to boast in because or try to boast in because we would like to say all about what we did in in order in in our salvation then we really need to go back to the word of god and check ourselves Mm -hmm. check our hearts check our thoughts maybe you were raised in a in a church that taught that or maybe you've had friends or family that believe that or something like that but um, we have absolutely no credit in in this process and this work of salvation Um, And that's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't need to desire that. Indeed, like Caleb said, um, the Lord has changed our hearts. He's renewed our hearts and our wills, and he has made us willing. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, it's not that he's a puppet master behind us saying, okay, yeah, now you're willing and I'm just controlling that. But he is at work in us, Mm -hmm. Ephesians 2.13. He's at work in us to, to have this will. And that's good. That's right. This is this is the right understanding of uh, and what Scripture teaches about the relationship between the Creator and the creature, um, between the Redeemer, between the uh, the Triune God and His people. Right. This is what He's determined. This is what He's ordained, mm-hmm. and therefore it's right and good. Exactly. Yeah. And we exactly. praise Him for it. Exactly. We praise Him for making us willing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to seek him and to love him and to obey him, mm-hmm. right? Praise the Lord. Praise God. It is a beautiful, beautiful truth when we consider this. And so now as we consider this not being an act of ourselves, an act of anything that we have done, we consider uh, what we've been talking about in these last two podcasts, um, that this jives very perfectly with uh, unconditional election and limited atonement. And I mentioned this a little bit on the last podcast, that all three of these things being part of the doctrine of what we call predestination, all three of these are getting at the role which each member of the Trinity plays. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, to, to kind of jump into the discussion of how does this, how does this relate to the other three and how does this then kind of manifest itself as showing us that this is the role of the spirit, particularly in predestination. Yeah. So the the role of the spirit, um, right, is uh, and, and really it's helpful to understand what we refer to as the doctrine of the economic trinity, mm-hmm. right? 
uh, versus the ontological trinity. The ontological trinity is uh, teaching us uh, about God in relation to his being, mm -hmm. right? And the economic trinity is teaching us about the relationships between the persons of the Godhead, and in particular, um, in relation to um, their roles in salvation, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so in uh, in eternity past, right, the members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, all uh, agreed together that um, the Father would send the Son, mm -hmm. that the Son would be sent um, to save His people, and that the Spirit would apply the work and the benefits of uh, Christ's work um, to his people, mm -hmm. right? And so that's really um, what Caleb's getting at in regards to the work of the Holy Spirit, is that his work in salvation is really applying um, Christ, the benefits of Christ's work to us. Mm -hmm. um, and so he is the one, when we read in Ephesians 2 or other passages, when we read about God being at work in us, um, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is really the one primarily that we're speaking of that's doing that work. Other passages of Scripture um, teach us that the Spirit is at work uh, in our sanctification, in our growing us in grace, in our um, growing us in holiness and godliness. And um, He's the one who helps us to persevere Mm -hmm. Right, and we'll talk about perseverance uh, next week, Lord willing. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, he's the one that's uh, doing all of that as well. He's our, he's our comforter. He's our, um, he's our sustainer and our preserver. He's um, the one who is the guarantee of our inheritance mm -hmm. that God had prom God has promised to us in Christ. And so, yeah, actually, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is a, uh, and who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. Um, is a wonderful study as well, but uh, kind of went off on a rabbit trail there. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, so that's but that's the you know the work of the Holy Spirit that we're really seeing and talking about here. Exactly, exactly. When we yeah. when we're talking about being called, it is the Spirit that calls us, and so when we're um, this is why all three of these doctrines we can we can look at them as as the broader term predestination because mm -hmm. God in His in being the Godhead, predestinates us. He predestines us unto salvation. Um, and that is manifest in all three uh, persons of the Trinity, that the Father unconditionally elects those whom will be saved. The Son is, has an atoning death in which his blood covers all those who will be elected. Yeah, that's right. And then the Spirit then calls and applies that grace to all those who have been elected. Mm -hmm. And so they're all working together, and this is why we're so keen on, uh, when we think about the fact that God has predestined some, we have to then affirm that Christ has only died for some. And then when we say that Christ has only died for some, we have to affirm that the Spirit is going to call them. And we, because we see that the, the Godhead is not, uh, it is, it's not chaotic. It's not, like the, the Godhead is in some kind of disagreement because while the Godhead is three persons, it mm -hmm. is one God. Mm -hmm. It is not as if there is a mean, jealous, angry God in the Old Testament, and that's God the Father. And then we meet Jesus in the New Testament, and he's kind and loving. Um, 
No, the, 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 the same God of the Old Testament, who is very just, and we see his justice on display, is the same God that was merciful enough to, before the beginning of time, predestined that Christ would come mm -hmm. and save his people. Mm -hmm. And so there is, we, as Christians, and I think this is, it's really important as we think of, uh, or I, I, I often think about the quote from, I believe it was Gregory of Nazianzus. He's a, an early church father um, and wrote extensively on, on the Trinity. And he said, uh, the Trinity is, is, is thus, when I think on the three, I cannot help but think upon the one. And when I think upon the one, I cannot help but think upon the three. Mm -hmm. That they, that we, we cannot really understand in our minds what is going on here, that three persons can be one God and one God can be three persons. But if we divide the three persons from the one God or the one God from the three persons too much, then we end up having all sorts of trouble. Yeah. They really do sweetly comply into uh, what we call the Godhead. And, and it, is, it may be very, very possible that we will never understand how this all works together. But it is a very, uh, very lovely thing when we consider what we do know from Scripture right. and the way that the Godhead works together as three persons in one God. Right. And I mean, you think about various passages of Scripture, whether it be... Um, you know, John baptizing Jesus, um, mm -hmm. the work of the Father coming and speaking down from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, um, the Spirit descending upon him as a dove, or even passages uh, like Christ's high priestly prayer in the Gospel of John where he's praying to the Father and, um, you know, many times saying over and over again that he's done the Father's will, he's completed the mission that he has been sent to do. Um, you know, the Spirit is going to be sent forth, um, you know, to be with His people and um, to lead them in all truth, to teach them truth. Uh, I mean, there are just many passages where all three persons of the Godhead are either evident or referenced by um, Christ or, and, mm -hmm. and otherwise, and, and um, it just wonderfully shows the agreement, the unity, the uh, the harmony of the actions and and works of the Godhead, in in all the the things that they've intended to do, there's no disagreement, there's no conflict, there's mm -hmm. no um, contention at all, um, and so it's beautiful. It's something that invokes um, awe. Um, it's something that invokes praise and mm -hmm. worship, right? To Amen. see the Lord at work, and um, yeah. Amen. And that's. Just very apparent even in, in the book of Acts, mm. right? When we see uh, the work, uh, the, the, the church is growing and it's, we're getting to a point where there's, there's evangelism going on outside of Jerusalem. The disciples are going outside to other cities in the surrounding area. And in Acts 10, we, we read about a, a work of the Holy Spirit particularly. The Acts goes out of its way to say, right? Um, that they come into Samaria, right? They're going to the Samaritans. And the disciples have begun to preach the gospel. Well, they have not yet set up an established church. They have not yet started baptizing people and having a visible church there. And yet, what does it say happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon many of the Samaritans that are there, confirming for us, I think, very, very beautifully 
the the action that the Holy Spirit takes in the role of salvation mm-hmm. right there before the disciples' eyes, and they they say to one another, right. How can we withhold baptism? We need to get on this right away. The Holy yeah. Spirit is working here among us even now. Yeah. And um, it's such a beautiful, I think, picture of, of the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. And it's such an undeniable uh, instance in which we see the work of the Spirit particularly. Yeah. No, amen. Yeah. And so it is truly the Spirit who calls and renews our wills and give us, gives us to desire the things of the Lord. Um, but Caleb, does the, does the Spirit merely uh, convert us or does he uh, continue to work through us? What does Scripture teach us about that? I think this, we've already kind of hinted at it already, yeah. right? The, the, spirit, um, the Spirit does not leave us out to dry after it converts us. Or I should, I should say he. I shouldn't use the, uh, the neuter form of the pronoun sure. there. Uh, he does not leave us out to dry. Um, the Spirit is working in us uh, continually. As soon as the Spirit comes upon us and calls us and we are repentant and we become a Christian and that we are justified, the Holy Spirit now works to sanctify us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the strength to carry on. It is the, 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 the strength in you, right? When you may be caught in sin or are in a pattern of sin, it is what is that kind of prick at the back, what we might call the conscience, right? Uh, and we have a natural conscience, right? All men know that they shouldn't murder, but doubly so for the Christian because the, spirit, the Christian's not just listening to what he knows to be the law. He has the spirit within him that is constantly reminding him that this is not something that the Lord desires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you as a Christian know that you ought to repent of what you're doing, that is the Spirit's work in your life. Yeah. And even more so on the positive end, right? When you see a person that is suffering, a person that needs your help, and you have either financial means or other means that you can go to help them, it is the Spirit that gives you that desire to go and to reach out to that brother or sister that needs your help. It is the Spirit that may give you the desire to look at people who are caught in their sins and have no hope. Uh, it, it is the Spirit that gives you the desire to go and tell them the good news. And so anytime we see uh, good works done by Christians, we know that it is the Spirit that is empowering them to do it. And anytime we see a Christian be penitent for the sin which they commit, we know that it's also the Spirit there empowering them to repent and so throughout a christian's life we see we call this the work of sanctification and like carl said we may do a a series where we go through all the different uh the different aspects of salvation what we call the golden chain but in that sanctification we know that ultimately that that's not us that's doing that right it is the spirit who works out our faith and fear and trembling right well that's great because, uh, you know, there may be some of you who had the question or um, are thinking about, okay, so if the Lord uh, makes us willing, if he does this type of thing and, and we cannot resist his grace, um, but he makes us willing, as we've already talked about, then does he just kind of leave us alone at that point? Right. And um, is it up to us to uh, walk the Christian life without um, any further work of his in our lives and so that is a a wonderful thing to know that the spirit um, helps us as we endure and he's continuing to work in us as he's uh, maturing us in christ 
And um, as he's uh, uh, building us and growing us more and more into um, what God has made us to be, mm-hmm. and who God has, has made us to be and redeemed us to be. Um, so, but Caleb, I mean, if all of this is true, then why doesn't the Holy Spirit just make us perfect? This is a, this is a good question, something that I've thought of myself. Uh, there, are, there are theologians and, uh, that, uh, that we would believe to be in error who have who've argued that there are Christians that, that are perfect mm-hmm. this side of glory, uh, that have reached that, that state of perfection. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that we can justify that from Scripture, and I, I definitely don't think that I could have ever justified it through my experience. Sure, um, And so when we think about uh, this, I think what is, what is helpful for us, because you can ask that question about any of the work of God, right? Mm-hmm. He could have snapped his fingers and made us all, from the beginning, mere robots that were doing his will perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. And in many senses, that's what what he did when he created animals. It's what he did when he created the garden and all of these things. These were, uh, they, they may have had life in them, but they didn't have wills like we did, and they just were merely there for his good pleasure. So why didn't he do that with humans? Well, ultimately, some of these questions we can't have answered, but we know that he works in a, such a way as to magnify himself and to magnify his own glory and the different aspects of his glory, his justice, his goodness, his truth, his mercy, and his love. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, in that way, I think, just in the way that we could ask, why didn't Christ come as soon as Adam and Eve sinned? Uh, we, we, we don't know exactly, but we know he came at the perfect time. And so in the same way, when we ask, well, why, Lord, am I not perfect right this instant? I think we have to learn patience and know that in the time that God would have us be, uh, be perfect, we will be. And that in that day, of course, as that's when we go to glory, mm-hmm. it will be the perfect timing. And the Lord is working a good work in us. Mm-hmm. He is molding us and shaping us in the timing that he has chosen. And it is up to us to trust that his plan is on track and is perfect. Right. Well, and, it, and it's also true in Scripture that um, he, you know, in some ways, uh, in many ways, um, has ordained sanctification to occur um, because uh, he is continually teaching us um, dependence on him. Mm-hmm. He is continually teaching us um, more about himself and more of who we are in relation to him. Um, and uh, even as we walk through this life dependent on him, and as we go through the ups and the downs, we are learning more and more about the covenant relationship that we have with him, Mm -hmm. um, learning as the Spirit is working in us to be more and more faithful in our obedience to him. And so there are a lot of aspects, I think, relational aspects, um, that um, such work and and such, um, you know, not snapping uh, (laughs) some divine fingers, if we were to be anthropomorphic there, and and to say that he could make us completely uh, perfect on the spot, right? Um, but that um, he has ordained this for a reason, and ultimately it's for his pleasure. Mm-hmm. Ultimately it's for his glory, which is all good and wonderful, and that's all we really need to know on one level, <laughs> um, and be mm-hmm. satisfied. Um, the rest we, we trust in him. The things that we don't know, the things that are still mystery, or the, the questions that may we may have that aren't fully answered, um, we, we leave with him and we trust him um, in, with those things. But 
I think that um, as we walk in this life with our Lord, we're growing in our relationship with Him, in mm-hmm. our knowledge of Him, in our knowledge of Christ, mm-hmm. um, which is um, all uh, beautiful and wonderful. And, and those are, are good things um, and, and good purposes in, um, in our sanctification. And we look forward then to uh, the last piece of the Ordo Salutis in our glorification, right? When Christ will return and um, will uh, judge uh, the living and the dead. Will mm-hmm. the new heavens and the new earth will be ushered in, and we will be together forever with the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, um, uh, we we see that that all of this has a grand purpose. Um, it, it's all moving towards a grand end. Um, but here in this portion of our, of our discussion, I think it's helpful to to be mindful of those things as God uh, reveals them to us in Scripture. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, Caleb, as we close uh, out our episode here, um, as we always do here, we like to talk about um, the doctrine that we've been discussing and how it's a comfort to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you see this as a comfort for the Christian? Well, I think, and I think the, and I put this in, in the notes, which I think is, a, it's, it's pertinent that we're discussing the Holy Spirit when we yeah. think of comfort, right? Because uh, one of the first places that uh, Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit, he, he calls him the comforter, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, he uses the, the Greek word parakaleo, uh, which uh, some, some theologians use to say that the Spirit uh, that his proper title is the paraclete, the one which in Greek, of course, just means the one who is there to comfort. The, mm-hmm. um, and so whenever we, we think of how this, this doctrine is, is comforting, uh, it, is, it is comforting to know that, the, that the, if the Father has called us, or as the Father has elected us, excuse me, and, and the, the Son has died for us, that the Spirit will be sent uh, in, a, a, in us and he will comfort us. He will guide us along the way. And he will give us wisdom for the journey. He will give us strength to endure and to persevere as we look ahead to next week uh, along the journey. And even if there are many trials and tribulations that we have to go through mm-hmm. on this journey. And so uh, it, is, it is a comfort to know that, that the Spirit is, is here with us. Is he here with us even now as we, we record this podcast? And if you at home are, are indeed... Uh, trusting in God for your full salvation, then he is with you. Whether you are alone in the car or with friends and family or at church or wherever you may be, uh, the Spirit does not uh, does not leave you. If you are truly his and you have truly been converted, then the Spirit is there with you to comfort you. And and we do not like some uh, talk about... Uh, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit as some kind of second thing that happens right. or uh, we, do not, we do not need to see speaking in tongues or all of these kind of crazy uh, events that uh, were, were in, in, to be honest, quite unique to the, the times of Scripture uh, to confirm for us that we have the Spirit within us. We know indeed that the greatest miracle that the Spirit ever does that ever enacts is that miracle by which a dead sinner comes to life and that if you truly are trusting in christ for your true salvation you have the fullness of the spirit there with you there is no compromise or 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 lesser than um for for not having those gifts so i want to to really implore you as as someone if you are not a christian to place your hope and your full hope in christ jesus because 
you will have that comforter with you if you are truly saved by Jesus Christ. And that is, that is a, a great comfort, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it also uh, reminds me of uh, comfort that I find in what Scripture also teaches us about what is true of the Spirit being our guarantee, mm-hmm. uh, the guarantee of our inheritance, mm-hmm. um, that inheritance which we have in part now as sons and daughters of the living God, as those who have been adopted and welcomed into His family because of Christ. Um, but um, that inheritance is also um, yet future as well, right? Mm-hmm. That inheritance is um, the fullness of it we will receive in glory. And, um, and so, um, but that is the Spirit's work as He is the guarantee mm-hmm. of our inheritance. That's right? right. That He is the guarantee of that. And so uh, a wonderful uh, testimony of, of God's work of grace towards us um, and uh, very thankful for that and very thankful for um, his work, his guarantee uh, in and through his spirit. Yeah, mm-hmm. praise God. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up here, and so I'm so thankful that everyone could join us today. Yep. Um, and as we look forward, as we've hinted at already, uh, we will see next week how the spirit gives us the strength to persevere through the end, for we know that if it is God that is doing all of this work, that he will finish that which he started, right? That's right. And so we will talk about how any Christian that is truly saved um, will never be uh, snatched from the Father's hands, that he will endure to the end. And so that is a a wonderful uh, doctrine that comes out of the doctrines you've already been talking about uh, and sweetly complies with what the scripture, scripture says. So, uh, but uh, we will see you next week for that. So I hope you join us next week for that. But in the meantime, if you could give us a like down below, if you could subscribe to the YouTube channel, if you could share it with friends and family, uh, maybe you know someone that might benefit from uh, our our talks on what it means to be uh, a Reformed Christian. And maybe this might help and answer some questions that they may have as they're struggling with some of these things. So I hope that we can be a blessing to those that, that listen to us. So uh, I, as you're, maybe drop a comment down below if you have any questions that you may have. Maybe we can address it on a future podcast as well. So uh, I hope uh, this has been a blessing to all of you. And I hope that y'all have a wonderful rest of your weekend. God bless. God bless. Mm.